Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. We are in Acts chapter 28 today. If you've got your Bible or your device or wherever it is you want to look, I'd love for you to look along with us. Uh, We are actually finishing our study of the book of Acts. We started this, I think, last September, and we've been working through this most of the last 10 uh, 10 or 11 months. And as we come to the finish line, I'm excited to kind of close this out and get to the end of this book today. Uh, Man, Acts has been a timely thing for us in this season, hasn't it? As we come out of kind of a crazy season in the life of our world, as we're entering into an exciting season in the life of our church, we just feel like the, like the book of Acts has been fantastic to sort of focus us in on what God wants us to know about His church and about His movement and its mission as we, as we kind of head into this new season. So we're excited about that. Most of you that have been around here and know my family know that my kids are runners. Uh, I don't know where they got that necessarily, except my, my, my dad liked to run. I sort of like to run, just not maybe as far as my boys like to run. Um, but, but my kids have all jumped in to running and been involved in track and cross countries. And as I got to watch them, I think the races that I enjoyed as much as anything were the relay races. If you've ever been at a track meet and you've seen a relay race, you know the intensity of that moment. There's a, a sense of teamwork, a sense of guys walking out together to the starting line and you see them just breathing and their hearts build, beating faster. And the first guy gets on the line and they do their fist bumps and high fives and the other three go stand off to the side and the first guy is going to go when the gun takes off and they're going to shoot out from the start and take off and try to make their way around the track. And as they do their one lap or two laps or 100 meters or whatever it is that their leg is called to do, they're going to approach at full speed the next guy. The next guy has moved to the starting line. And as they come to that line, they're running and they're passing that baton to the next guy. And he's reaching back and trying not to look because he didn't want to lose any speed. And he takes it and he takes off running his leg of the race. And it goes around and the next one comes and the next one comes with the hopes that they get to the finish line. And if you know anything about track, the most terrifying and exhilarating moment of the whole thing is always the handoff of the baton. Uh, because when they pass that baton, there's so much at risk and it's happening so fast that it's such a technical thing. But if they, if they happen to drop the baton, what that means is you lost. The race is over. That, that if one guy doesn't get the baton and can't, can't continue the next leg, the team is never going to get to the finish line they have. And what we have in the book of Acts is we come to the end of Acts 28 and what you have is Paul is finishing the leg of his race. Paul is finishing the, the, the race that he was called to run and he's literally handing the baton off or figuratively handing the baton off to those that would come after him. And in fact, the book of Acts finishes and it's kind of a weird finish. Like it finishes just really open-ended and it just kind of stops and you're like, whoa, like what happened to Paul? Like what's gonna, where, where's the rest of the story? What you're meant to get is this sense of openness that's there where you're meant to, to feel like I mean, Paul's race is done and now we're supposed to take the baton and we're, we're to begin our leg of the race. 
But it's being handed to us. And the church comes down from one generation. So Paul hands it off to the, the church at Philippi and the church at Colossae and the church at Ephesus and the church at, at Pergamum. And he hands the baton off to these churches and, and they continue the mission that Jesus gave them. And it's passed down one leg of the race at a time until it comes to people in Edmond, Oklahoma. And we're meant to grab the baton. And do you realize that the God who gave Paul the baton and called Paul into the mission. And the God who sent his spirit to inhabit Paul and empower his mission is the same God that calls us, that inhabits us, that empowers us, and that sends us forward in the mission of God. That's what the, the, that's what the book of Acts is meant to tell us. And it's asking us to, to, an important question, which is how are we going to handle the leg of our race? When we reach back and we take the baton and we begin to run, how are we going to, to navigate the leg of our race and finish like Paul did? Well, let's look at Acts chapter 28. We're going to start verse 17 and we're going to read through, down through the end of the book. It says this, After three days, Paul called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered of, uh, I'm sorry, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there's no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am right now wearing this chain. And they said to him, We've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here have reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect of Jesus, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning until evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And their ears can barely hear, and their eyes have become closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, for they will listen. And Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who had come to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. And as we look at what God has put in the mind of Luke to write in this book and to describe at the end of the book, it's interesting to me that the very last phrase, the very last word that, that comes to this book, what is it? It's without hindrance. That the, the, the word of God was spreading unhindered. Now, let me just ask you a question. If you were Paul, is unhindered the word you would use to describe your circumstances. I mean, he's literally in a foreign city, in the heart of an empire, under the imperial guard, in house arrest, unable to live. It just said he's there for over two years. 
Does that sound like free and unhindered to you? Now, if, if you go back even before that, what we know about Paul and really what, you, what we've looked at in the chapters leading up to this in, uh, in the book of Acts, and think about it where Paul was. Paul went back to Jerusalem, thought, man, I'm going to go back with my homeboys and I'm going to celebrate the festival and I'm going to enjoy this good time in the temple there. And immediately they all revolt and rebel against him. They falsely accused him. They have him arrested in Jerusalem. So instead of going back and worshiping and having this like kumbaya experience with all the old brothers back in Jerusalem, he ends up in prison. Yeah, he's, he's faced with charge. It says that they uh, charge him out as a mob and they begin to beat him within an inch of his life. Uh, Paul goes on to face trial. He moves from one city to the next, from one ruler to another. Everyone's kind of washing their hands like, I don't want anything to do with this guy. But he keeps getting these false charges and he keeps having to appeal to Caesar in order to avoid being killed. These Jews that arrested him, literally it says the mob is running around during his trial saying, this man should not be allowed to live any longer. So from there... He spends two to three years being transported as a prisoner. Not only that, in his road, on his road from Jerusalem to Rome, he, he suffers ship, shipwreck. And then he goes and finally survives the shipwreck, probably kisses the ground, grateful, you know, after floating at sea. And they go to build a fire and he reaches in and get bit by a poisonous snake and then survives that. Now, let me just ask you, if you had lived through everything I just described that Paul had lived through, would you look at your, ex, your experiences and go, man, I'm so unhindered and free right now? It's not, not our perspective, is it? But it's interesting because Luke, looking at Paul and looking at the outcome of everything that happened, says the word of God is, Paul was able to teach with boldness and he was completely unhindered. So I want us to go back to verse 17 and begin to lay the groundwork and just begin to think about why it is that his perspective, his view of the life of Paul, what Paul was doing was so different than what ours would typically be in the same circumstances. Sound good? So verse 13, um, what we understand is there, there must be something else going on inside of Paul. So let's go back and learn from his approach to life. Verse 17, it actually says uh, that when Paul got to Rome, so he arrives under house arrest, shows up there, and uh, the way being under arrest worked in that empire is they didn't put you in a little cell that they, that they funded, the taxpayers funded, and gave you three squares a day. You actually had to rent your own quarters. You, you or your friends or your family had to pay for your house, and they actually had to pay for your food and all of your material needs because the state was like, dude, you're a prisoner. We're not paying for that. You're on your own. If you want to eat, you better find something to eat. And so he was under house arrest, paying for his own way, making everything work. And in, what's the first thing Paul does? This is actually surprising. Why was Paul in arrest in Rome? Because the Jews had attacked him, accused him, arrested him, and imprisoned him. And he was forced eventually to go all the way to Rome. First thing Paul does, says in verse 17, after three days he called together the local leaders of the Jews. Huh. Is that, would that be your first response? Is, man, I would love to get to meet with the people that made me be in prison. I would love to get the chance to love on them and serve them and tell them about Jesus. I would love to share the good news with the people that are responsible for my, for my pain and my difficulty here. 
And what we see is Paul actually did this every time Paul went to a new city. You realize that he would show up in the new city, he would immediately go to the synagogue, and he'd reach out to the Jewish people in that community, and he'd begin to share the gospel with them and tell them about Jesus and say, the Messiah that the Old Testament told us about has actually come. His name is Jesus, and his kingdom has shown up into the world and breaking in right now, and I want you to know him. And so the first thing you see about Paul is this man has some resilience, doesn't he? To come up one city after another and say, let me tell you about Jesus and what happens. He's rejected and and oftentimes beaten and oftentimes in trouble because of his sharing the gospel with this group. And yet he goes to the next city and he goes, hey, where are the Jewish people? I want to tell them the good news. He's in prison. He comes to Rome. He gives himself three days to kind of get settled. And he goes, hey, invite all the Jewish people to come in because I want to tell them the good news about Jesus. Paul obviously had some resilience. He had the ability to bounce back from difficulty. Where did that come from? Paul actually wrote in the book of Romans, Romans 1, he says, for I am not ashamed, I'm not ashamed of the power of the gospel because, I'm sorry, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. What Paul was saying is that that the gospel is powerful enough to bring salvation to everyone. And because the the good news originally, or God's people originally were Jewish, and so God called Abraham and he launched the people of God uh, in the Old Testament and promised that he would send a Savior one day, Paul always went to the Jews first. And so he went to the Jews, but then he said the message of Christ isn't limited to the Jews. It actually is breaking out and going forward to the Gentiles, and so it would also go to the Greek. And he would begin to share the gospel with all the people that, was, that were there. So we see this pattern of Paul, that he would come in and immediately share the good news with the people, most, the people who should be most likely to hear it, the people who knew the Old Testament, the Jewish people. And so he'd start there, and then he would move out and begin to share it with the rest of the people. Now, what we know about the Jews is they continually rejected his message. They continually fought against him. But Paul had resilience, so he kept showing up. And he kept sharing the good news. And he kept loving on people. And Paul looked like Jesus. He loved his enemies. And he continued to, to give them the good news. So he reaches out to fellow Jews in Rome. Secondly, what we see is that Paul had integrity. So he had a resilience. He also had integrity. Uh, look at verse 17, what it says. He says, I've done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers. What he, what he means there is, I've honored all the Old Testament law. I've done all the things I was supposed to do. I've followed all the rules that I was supposed to follow in terms of the customs, meaning when I went to the temple in Jerusalem, I didn't do anything wrong. I actually went way out of my way to do everything just right, and I've been falsely accused. So Paul is saying I had integrity. I've not violated any of the teaching of the Old Testament. In fact, what he's trying to help them understand is Jesus was a fulfillment of all those things, and I'm not coming to eradicate it. I'm coming to show you that Jesus is the one who completes all of the things that the Old Testament talked about. Now, verse 18, what he says is, look, when the Romans examined me, they wanted to set me free because they knew I had not done anything wrong. But because the Jews kept clamoring for my life and trying to have me executed, I appealed to Caesar. Now, the irony of all this is that God's people were the ones that had, that, that had the Old Testament, right? The, the Jews had the Old Testament. They, they, of all the people, more so than the Romans, 
I mean, the Romans had crazy beliefs. They were uh, oftentimes had, had all kinds of ideas of gods, but also had the, the emperor of Rome that was now setting himself up as God, and they had to bow down to him as Lord. And so you didn't expect the Romans to be the ones that had the wisdom. You expected the Jews to be the ones that had wisdom. And yet the ones who should have known the righteousness and justice and holiness of God uh, were the ones that were actually coming against Paul. And Paul had to appear had to appeal to the Romans for a sense of justice. And yet they recognized that Paul Paul had not done anything wrong and should have gone free. So Paul was a person of resilience and integrity. Paul also, we see in verse 19, was a man of forgiveness. Verse 19 is fascinating to me. He says, though I had no charge to bring against my own nation. Do Do you think that's true? Was was that an was that an honest statement? Did Paul have no could could Paul have found anything against the people of Israel that he could have said, Hey, I think these guys are wrong here? Well, of course he could have. Right? I mean, think think about what Israel had done to him. Well, I mean, Israel, the Israelites were the ones that had, had literally beaten him to the point of death. They had imprisoned him. They'd falsely accused him. They'd clamored for his life. They were responsible for all the hurt and hardship that he'd done. And what Paul says is, I, I'm not holding this against them. It's not because he couldn't find a charge. He just says, I, I'm coming willingly to share with you the good news of Christ, not holding the wrongs that you've done against you. Paul was a man of grace. He's a man of forgiveness. And I have a question for you. Why do you think Paul felt that way? Do you remember Paul's story? If you were back in our study, if you go back to Acts chapter 9, you go back to the earlier chapters, well, where did Paul, what did Paul look like when he first appeared in the book of Acts? When Paul shows up, what's Paul doing? Someone talk to me. He's persecuting the Christians. Uh, he's the one who's actually doing what these people are now doing to him, right? So he was seeking out the followers of Jesus. And Paul, by his own admission, said, look, I literally broke into homes. I took men and women who were followers of Jesus. And I dragged them off and I threw them in prison. I was the one that stood there when Stephen, who was this righteous man, was stoned to death because of his faith in Christ. I stood there and I held all the garments of the people that, man, they needed a little bit to like loosen up to throw stones. So they took off their outer garment. And they went over and started picking up rocks and hurling them at Stephen. And I stood there and held and watched over all their garments as they killed Stephen. And I did it with, with approval of all that they were doing. This was Paul's testimony. What happened to Paul? He was on the road to Damascus. He had letters from the, the important big shots back at, back at HQ. And he had, he had letters from them saying, hey, you can go arrest anyone you want. So he's just wandering around like, I'm going to go get me some more people, round them up and throw them in prison. And what's Jesus do? Boom. Knocks him off his high horse, literally. Blinds him. And what's Paul say? Lord, Lord. Or, or Jesus says, what, Paul, Paul, why? Are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus. I'm the one that you're, you're seeking out all the followers and you're hurting them. But I'm the one that's now turning you around. And so Paul literally did a 180. He went from being the one that was punishing followers of Jesus to being the one who was leading the followers of Jesus. And his life was radically turned. So why do you think Paul can say, look, I'm not going to hold it against someone that's 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 imprisoning followers of Jesus because I was one of them. 
Scripture all the time looks at us and describes those who are in the world who are doing what sinners are supposed to do. You know what the job description of a sinner is? Sin. So when sinners sin, they're doing literally what their job, what their, what their job description is. They're doing what we should expect them to do. And Paul's going, look, you're, you're a sinner and you're running against the Lord. You're fighting against the Lord. That's what you do until you meet Jesus and he turns you around. But I'm not going to hold it against you because I believe that he can impact your life like he impacted my life. And he can open the eyes of your heart so that you can see who he really is. And that will change everything in you. And so Paul was a man of forgiveness, which is a pretty remarkable thing. Paul, verse 20, you see what he says? He says, it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. Meaning I'm in prison, not because I did something wrong. I'm in prison because of my faith. I'm in prison because of the hope of Israel. And when he says the hope of Israel, what he's saying is, I'm in prison because of my faith in Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the hope of Israel. That when, uh, when, when God saved Abraham and, and gave him the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 15, he says that I'm going to give you land, seed, and blessing. And through the seed of Abraham, all the world will be blessed. When God uh, saved uh, or, or spoke to Moses, he said, there's going to be one who comes who can fulfill the law in a way that the law can never make the people of God fulfill the law. When he spoke to David, he says there's going to be a descendant of the throne of David who will one day set up a new kingdom and his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. We see through the scriptures, we see these prophecies all throughout the Old Testament that these things are pointing to a Messiah to come. And what Paul says is all of those hopes of Israel are pointing to one. His name is Jesus and he's shown up and he saved us and I've met him and I want to tell him about you. So he says it's because of my, my belief and the hope of the Old Testament that's been fulfilled in Christ that I'm now in chains. It's interesting. Paul, Luke says Paul, the, the word of God is unhindered. Paul says, because of the hope of Israel, I'm in chains. What's going on? There's something bigger at play here, isn't it? Because the point is not Paul's freedom. The point is God's freedom to do what God wants to do. And, and, and the chains are not going to hinder Paul or hinder the message of God whatsoever. The next thing we see is that Paul is relentless in this mission of God. Even though people, the, the, the people that, that Paul's talking to are skeptical, they're unsure about this. In fact, you remember what they said? It said that everywhere people are speaking against the sect of Jesus. So they've kind of gone by mob mentality. They've, they've read the social media reports from Jerusalem. And people are you know, posting on, on threads over there. See how up-to-date hip I am? And y'all should know. Like, and I'm, I'm cutting edge in terms of social media. Um, and I'm so tired of all the new stuff. That's just another side deal. But, but they weren't, and they knew. And so you know, they had posted all the stuff, and they, they had talked about this sect, uh, this, this cult-like group from, from, uh, that are followers of Jesus, and they're a little skeptical. But, but Paul sees even their willingness to engage a conversation as maybe there's an open door for me to step in and begin to tell them about Jesus. So he's relentless in his mission. Look at verse 23. Paul says, they set aside a day to explore Paul's claims. And all day long, we see that Paul argued from the law of Moses and the prophets, trying to convince them that Jesus was the Messiah sent to bring the kingdom of God. And you guys think I preach a long time. They preached all day long. Like they didn't leave from morning till sunset. They were there all day. And Paul's continually coming back and saying, let me walk you through all the Old Testament. I mean, I gave you like three verses a minute ago. Paul probably just unpacked the whole thing and just walked them from one chapter to the next to the next saying, look, 
all of this points to Jesus. When it says that he taught them from the law and the prophets, that's a common way in the scriptures to say the Old Testament. So the law was all the books of Moses and the prophets were everything that came later, that came later in the history of the church. And so all of that described the Old Testament. So Paul, here meeting with this Jewish people who believe the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament, is trying to prove to them, he's arguing them, he's building a case to show them that Jesus is the, is the focus of all of it. He's the hope of Israel. He's the one who brings the kingdom of God. And so he's trying to convince them. In verse 24, it says, some were convinced by what he said and others disbelieved. Realize that's always the case, right? That anytime the gospel goes forward, that there's always a choice that people are allowed to make. That people have to listen with their ears and they have to digest with their minds and they have to process with their hearts what's going on and decide are they going to receive or reject the message that some believed and some rejected. In fact, that's why Paul then turns and Paul is going to say something that's pretty harsh to them. In fact, he's going to quote from Isaiah 6. He says, for this people's heart has grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes, they've closed. You notice that he says, every sense that they have isn't working the way it's supposed to work. Yeah, that's the point that Isaiah is trying to get them to understand. And this was true in Isaiah's time. In fact, Isaiah quoted this to a people saying, look, God, messages come forth to you and you've completely shut off your heart to it. It says your heart is dull. It's saying your heart is so thick and overweighted that it almost can't absorb anything else. That it's just a hardened heart. It's unresponsive. That their ears, the word there means they're too tired and they're too weighed down to function. Uh, they're, they're like your kid when they're playing video games. Like they're, they're distracted. They're overburdened. They're, they're listening to all kinds of other things, but they're too tired to hear the voice that God is giving them. Their eyes, it says they, they have closed their eyes. It's interesting in Matthew 13, Mark 4, other places in the, in the New Testament, the Gospels, Jesus actually quotes this same passage. This passage is quoted quite a bit in the New Testament because it was a famous passage from Isaiah in the Old Testament. Jesus quotes it of the people that he's trying to share the gospel with, or share the good news of the kingdom with. And as he does, he says, look, your ears, your heart is hard. Your ears are closed off. They're stuffed up. Your eyes, you're closed. You're not seeing what is true in front of you. It's true in Isaiah's time. It's true in Jesus' time. Paul is now saying it in his time. You realize it's true in our time too? That, that the gospel is true? That we have God's word? That there's, uh, the people in our city have access to the gospel? But there are many whose hearts are hard and weighed down and distracted and unresponsive. Their ears are closed off. Their eyes are shut to the good news. But you notice there's a promise that's here as well. Notice at the end of that, what does Paul says? He says, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. See, if they would, if they would just listen, and they would turn and embrace the message of God, God says, I will meet you right where you are, and I will heal you. You don't have to do it all. All you have to do is receive. Stop, stop going your own way. Turn and accept the message of the kingdom that comes through Christ. And I will heal the hurts of your heart. 
and I will heal my people. You notice how Paul says, he says, let this be known to you. He's talking to people that, are, that he's viewing as friends. And this is a solemn warning. What he's saying is, friends, don't, don't ignore the opportunity you have. God will meet you right where you are. Whatever it is that you're ashamed of, that's here, that you just think, I don't want anyone to know this. God will meet you there and he'll heal that. Whatever it is that, that, that causes you doubt, that makes you go, I don't, I don't know. I don't think that God could really do what he says he would do. Because if you'll just turn and receive, he'll meet you there. And like Paul, he will begin to work in your life and he'll produce something new. Whatever it is in you that's closed off to him, if you just would open yourself by faith to receive his love and his message and to trust it and to begin to build your life on it, he will do good work in you. Friends, don't, don't let your ears be closed. Don't let your eyes be shut. Don't let your heart be dull. But wake up to the good news. And that's what we see that Paul wants for them. And that's where we get to, uh, to the end of the chapter. Look with me at verse 30, 31. It says, Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense. He welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching them about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I love this last picture of Paul that Luke leaves us with. And Paul invested all that he had. He left everything on the track. He didn't hold anything back. He didn't hold back his breath thinking, well, I may have longer in the race. He left everything and ran with all he had to the finish line. I love that the, the way Luke describes this as a man completely entrusting his life to Jesus. He says, everyone that came to him, Paul does the same thing. He invited them in. He shared the good news of the gospel with them. He began to teach them about the kingdom and disciple them. This is, uh, this is evangelism and discipleship. And what we see, what we see with Paul is that he, the, the last kind of element we see of his life here is that Paul lived with a sense of urgency. That he lived with a sense of, of an urgent mission, an urgent task that he had been given. And so I want to look at just at several ways this sense of urgency worked itself out in Paul's life. Notice what it says. It says he welcomed all who came to him. That means his time was invested in the mission of Jesus. That if, if someone showed up at Paul's door, he opened it and said, my house is your house. Come on in. Let's chat. And so his time was able to be invaded by, uh, by someone that needed Paul to meet their spiritual needs on behalf of God. Paul's time was invested in Jesus' mission. It meant he was available to God. His energy belonged to God. And he, he was able to engage with other people to meet their needs on behalf of God. And so secondly, we see he lived there two whole years, it says, at his own expense. It's an interesting little detail for Luke to give there, isn't it? Uh, what, what, what Luke is saying, he, he sort of wants us to understand that Paul was sacrificing for the mission that he was about. That, that for him to have a house that he was big enough and in the middle of Rome that he could invite lots of people into was probably an expensive piece of property for him to be able to invite people in. But he wanted to invest in space where people could come in. So his money was invested in Jesus' mission. And there, basically under house arrest, he couldn't go out to do the mission. He had to have a space where people could come in and experience Paul and get to know him. And so it was costly for Paul to welcome people day in, day out, providing 
meals for them as they stayed all day to teach, providing for their needs as they, uh, as they listened and were discipled by him. Paul was invested. Now, let's look at how he spent his days. It said he was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've seen his time was invested. We've seen his money was invested. Here we see that his mind was invested in Jesus' mission. Paul devoted himself to the word of God. Paul, Paul knew his Bible. In fact, if you look at Paul's writings, he quotes from the Old Testament over and over and over. And so his mind was invested in Jesus' mission because he knew what it meant for people to understand the hope that we were given. He was ready. Scriptures, in fact, Paul writes later, that they were to be ready to give a defense of the hope that's in us. And Paul says, man, I know the hope of Israel. I'm ready to defend him and to make an argument, to build a case that you too might believe and trust in him. So his mind was engaged. It's... uh, believe that Paul wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon during this time. That while he's under house arrest and while these people are coming in, that he wrote those New Testament books that have become such powerful tools for us. Uh, We're actually going to be studying Colossians in the fall. Colossians starts off and talks about the supremacy of Christ, how Christ is overall. And I can't think of anything better to open a new building and to, to announce to our city that everything we do is about Jesus. And Jesus is the one that everything points to. And Jesus is the one that makes all of this happen. And Jesus is the one who's changed our lives. And so we're going to begin when we move into our new building, Colossians. And Paul wrote Colossians during these two years when he was under house arrest. So his mind was engaged. She notice it also says that with all boldness. That means his heart was engaged. His heart was invested in the mission of Jesus. He was emotionally connected to what was going on. When someone says that you're boldly going about your mission, it means and you've got some oomph to it. Like you've got some, you've got some gravitas. You've got some weight you're throwing behind it and you're pouring yourself into. And then that last phrase, it says, without hindrance. And the last thing we see about his urgency is that his perspective was directed by the mission of Jesus. Paul saw that I'm unhindered because the message of the gospel is going forth. That it's not about me being free, it's about the gospel being free, and nothing is containing the gospel or withholding the gospel. In fact, it would have been easy for us, I think, when you think about our perspective, wouldn't it be easy to grumble and complain and just say things like, man, God, if, if you just got me out of this joint, do you know how much more effective I could be? Do you know how many more people we would reach if our world wasn't like this? Do you know if I wasn't in these chains, how much, how much greater and bolder I could be for the faith? And yet Paul looks at it and goes, and God is advancing the gospel however he wants and nothing's being held back. In fact, Second Timothy, Paul later is going to write, I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Isn't that beautiful? It's like I, I can be in chains, but God's word and the gospel is unhindered. It's going forth without any, any hindrance whatsoever. What's happening here is the gospel arrives at the heart of the Roman Empire, and Paul had freedom to speak the good news. In fact, Jesus earlier in the book of Acts had told Paul that he would be able to preach to Nero or share the good news with Nero. We don't know that that happened, but I personally think that it did. I think that somewhere during this two years that, that Paul got an audience, even with Nero, the emperor, was able to present the gospel with him. We don't know this, but Paul in Philippians says, I want you to know, brothers, that what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it became known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment was for Christ. So even his imprisonment, God used for good. 
And we believe that at the end of these two years that Paul was released from prison because they weren't allowed to keep someone more than two years if the accusers didn't show up and prove that they were guilty. And so we think he was probably released during that time he traveled. He continued his ministry. And during those years that followed, he wrote First and Second Timothy and Titus. But Paul would write this later about his time. Verse in Second Timothy, as he comes to the end of his life, what's Paul say? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Don't you love what Paul said at the end of the leg of his race? Like, I've, I've finished my race. I ran my leg. I did all that, all that was given to me to do. And God's going to reward me. But not just me. God's going to give who? God's going to bless who? All who loved Jesus. Friends, if we are, we are amongst that group, that we are the ones that Paul has finished the race and passed the baton to, as we take that baton, uh, we're the ones that are to love Jesus and we're to serve Jesus and we're to work for Jesus and we're to continue this. And it's interesting to me that the book of Acts doesn't tell us that, how Paul died, does it? it? It ends with this kind of open ending. And I think there's a reason. It's because Paul is not the hero of the book of Acts. Jesus is the hero of the book of Acts. Jesus is the one that sent us on a mission. Jesus is the one that sent his spirit to empower the church. Jesus is the one that directed the church externally to the Gentiles. Jesus saved Paul. Jesus sent Paul to Rome. Jesus fulfilled his promise that the gospel would go to the ends of the earth. And Jesus can be trusted because he always keeps his word and nothing can chain the word of God. But it is unhindered and free moving throughout the earth to do whatever it is God wants to do. Jesus is the hero of the book of Acts. Is that good news? So let me ask us this as we close. Friends, how are you running the leg of your race? We said the theme of this book was from Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria to the ends of the earth. Or maybe we might say you will be my witnesses in Edmond, and in all Oklahoma City, and in Guthrie, and Deer Creek, and Arcadia, and even to the panhandle of Oklahoma, which surely is the ends of the earth. <laughs> Friends, the, the, the book of Acts is open-ended because the baton is being handed to you. How are you running the leg of your race? Are you welcoming, inviting people to trust Jesus alongside you? Are you available to the work of God? That your time and energy can be invaded by God and redeployed to meet the spiritual needs of our city? Is your money being invested in the kingdom of God and in his work so that it can be used to create space for God's pe- for people to come in to be discipled and be taught? Do you need to invest more of your mind spiritually this year? Maybe you need to get in a small group. Maybe you need to get, take an equipment class. Maybe you need to be built up and strengthened in your faith so that you can do what Paul did and show people the kingdom of God and teach them about Jesus. Friends, is your heart bold for God? Passionate about the mission of the church? Are you emotionally engaged in what Jesus is doing in our world? That's the call of the book of Acts. Friends, we've got this temporary window. We've got this, this limited amount of time. We've got just a, a few short years where we, t- we reach back and we take that baton 
Do we want to waste it? Or do we want to take it and run our race to the glory of God and then lay it down to the next guy at the end of our life to say with Paul, I fought the fight. I've won my race. I'm awaiting the reward that God has for me. Friends, let's be like Paul because he looked like Jesus. I'm going to pray for us. Father, I pray that you would empower us as your people through your spirit to run our race well. Father, I'm reminded just as we turn to the communion table that it's not our running a race in order to earn your love, but it's because we have your love that we run a race. Because we know what it is to be forgiven, because we know what it is to experience new life, that we trust you. And so we run wholeheartedly without reservation. Father, would you give us glad hearts in the gospel that we might be a bold church for you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.